Today we begin our series on prophecy and the prophets. And the best place to start, as always, is at the beginning and at the foundation. In other words, if it's one class, you could just jump into like the, the thick of prophecy. But since we want to develop the subject, what, what we want to accomplish today at a minimal is to look at where does prophecy appear in the Torah? Where does it appear in the oral tradition? And from there, from it, we'll call it a historical understanding or appreciation of the roots of prophecy, then we'll be able to build on it. So I'm going to start with actually the oral tradition, uh, the first Mishnah in Pirkei Avot where it says Moshe Kibel Torah Misinai Moshe received the Torah at Sinai and he gave it over to Yoshua Yoshua gave it over to the Zikanim the elders and the elders gave it over to the prophets and the prophets gave it over to the men of the great assembly no, we can't say that because we'll see that that's one of the defining definitions of prophecy that it is from Hashem. And we will discuss the difference, a very, very important difference between what's called Ruach HaKodesh, which is called divine inspiration, and prophecy. Prophecy, by definition, is coming from Hashem. But we'll answer your question, but it'll take the whole class actually to see. But I'm starting here because here we see historically where the, what we call the prophets fit in. They fit in between what are called the elders and the Anshe Knesset Gedola. The Anshe Knesset Gedola, it's hard to pinpoint an exact date uh, of its inception. But we're talking approximately from 400 BCE to around the destruction of the temple. The men of the Great Assembly begin around 400 BCE. They received it from the prophets. So the prophets come between the elders and, and what are the elders? So after Yeshua dies. When is this? Approximately 1200 BCE. Okay? How long exactly the elders, the period of the elders is also in flux. But the point I want to bring out, which is very, very important, is in between the elders and the prophets, you would have expected one other group to be in there. And that's the judges. You have a whole book of judges. So the important point is, is that the judges fall into the category of prophets. So I don't understand. Moshe was a prophet and Yeshua was a prophet, right? Right, but we're talking about what's called the age of prophets. Oh, okay. You're right. Moshe was a prophet. Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov have prophecy. Sarifka Rachamaya have prophecy. So we're not talking about individual prophets. We're talking about the period of time where the prophets uh, not ruled, but their influence was tremendous. And they were in the, the, the full height of their uh, power and, in, and influence in, in Israel. So I'll go over this again. Moshe gives the Torah to Yeshua, Yeshua to the elders, the elders to the prophets, including all the judges that are mentioned, through the first temple, the entire first temple, and up to around the destruction of the second temple. In fact, actually I'm going to 
I'm going to take that back. It's, it's before that. Their, their rule didn't extend all the way to the destruction of the second temple. It's more at the beginning of the second temple. And then it went into what Pirkei Abba calls the Zugot. The, when the Sanhedrin <coughs> and the sages began, in a sense, to spiritually rule. So all of this is just to establish that the period of prophets and prophecy we're talking about is somewhere between 600 and 800 years. Not, it's not a small amount of time. It's like three times the age of the United States where the prophets were in the, uh, the height of their uh, influence, I'll call it. So now let's go to the Torah and understand when, when prophecy is mentioned explicitly. And in future weeks we'll talk more about when prophecy is mentioned implicitly. And if you remember in the dream series, uh, we talked about the Torah as being a prophetic document. In other words, prophecy is infused throughout the entire Torah. And that we'll, we'll have to spend more time with. And what I'm going to give over now is not necessarily in order, but there's not that many places where, pro- where the word prophet or prophecy is mentioned in the Torah. But these are our key understandings. So one place is in Bahalotcha. In the book of Bamidbar, it's already the fourth book, where, if you remember the incident where Mo- uh, Miriam and Aaron complain against Moshe. And God appears to them and, and he says that when I appear, see part of their complaint was that Moshe had separated from Zipporah. And they didn't feel this was a good example for the people. They felt that, which is not the Jewish way, and they felt that this this wasn't such a good thing. And so they say, well, God appears to us also. So why, why we're not expected to separate from our husbands and wives. Why, why is Moshe? In other words, their, their, their question was not really insidious. In other words, they, they, they had a reason to ask this question. Nonetheless, God took it very seriously and he explains to them and it's in the text itself, it's not a midrash, in the text itself it says when I appear to other prophets I appear in a vision or a dream now this becomes very very crucial to understanding prophecy altogether this is our first definition in the Torah of anything that has to do with prophecy God says I appear to them in a vision or a dream but not so with Moshe with Moshe I speak mouth to mouth mouth to mouth and he sees in a clear image and he perceives a picture of God this is the text without any commentary he, he perceives a picture of God so we have four important points here number one that there is a, a difference between Moshe and all other prophets and that is explained that all other prophets receive their prophecy only through visions or dreams Whereas Moshe received his prophecy when he was awake and at any time. At any time. As we'll see, uh, under ordinary circumstances, a prophet has to basically train their entire lives. And they have to be worthy of reaching the level of prophecy. 
Now Moshe obviously was, but he didn't do, have to do anything in particular. Once he reached that level, he just maintained that level. Mm-hmm. And so this, and so God is widely explaining all of this, because Rashi brings God says, "I told Moshe to separate from his wife." Because he is not like anyone else. In other words, if your complaint is people are going to get the wrong message here. Here's the greatest leader in Israel who's separated from his wife. Everyone's going to think they should do that also. So he's explaining that's I, I, like I understand what you're saying, but that's not the reason. Moshe is different than anyone. Does that include also Abram? Because it seems that Abram when I should no, everyone. Abram. Everyone. So also, like so. Everyone. We're told, and it's brought down continually. Actually, at the very end of the Torah, we'll jump to the last verses in the Torah. It says, "A, a prophet like Moshe never arose again in Israel." And it's like talking about the future. Someone like Moshe, and I actually learned from Rav Ginsburg that the Mashiach himself will not be on the as high a level as prophecy as Moshe. He'll have many other attributes. But the Torah says there will never arise another, another prophet like Moshe who could receive a presence with God at will and, and merit to, to bring not just the written Torah but the whole oral Torah. A whole oral term. At mo- yes. And therefore, since he had to be ready for prophecy at all times, God deemed it that he should separate from his wife. Not as, not as an example for anyone else. Even Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, no one else had this qualification. What was the actual reason that they separated? You know, it's the same thing as right before... Um, Harsinai it says for three days there were to be no relations it's just it's just considered that the marital act not that it's not holy but there is there is in, in Jewish law there are degrees of impurity that happen because of that now here impurity does not mean negative we create babies this way. We create shalom bayit this way. So we're not talking about negativity, but as, as we'll see, uh, a, 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 to receive prophecy, you have to be on like a really, really high level of, of everything. And one of them is a, a, a state of purity. So that was, that was the reason. That was the same thing. The same reason why all of Israel they did, weren't together for three days before Harsina, as a as a to be in a state of purity. And they all went to the mikvah. By the way, everyone in the Torah it, it uses the expression everyone should wash their clothes. But along with that, we're told that everyone went to the mikvah. Just before I get like. <laughs> No, that's a good question. That's, that's a good, it's a good question. I mean, it's a, it's a very, very good question. Like, what, what happened in their actual personal relations? I don't, I don't think the rabbis talk about it so much. I don't think we have midrashim as to how they worked out their relationship. But it's, I mean, it's a good question. But we are, we are told specifically that this is not an example for us and so God here is actually going out of his way to say he's different from anyone else so you have this complaint but you just have to know there's no one like Moshe can I follow yeah. that mm-hmm. do we know anything about Sephora's strength like, what do we know before? she criticized her son yes yeah, actually as far as strength uh, tremendous strength because even when Moshe didn't really know what to do, actually according to the Midrash, he was being swallowed by a snake because he had not circumcised his sons. Mm-hmm. So he, at that point, was helpless. 
powerless. However, we understand being swallowed by a snake, but let's understand that he didn't know what to do. Or he didn't understand what the problem was. And she understood. And she took the initiative. So it's supposed to considered a great Siddhartha. And she also saved Moshe's life. And she saved Moshe's life because the Torah says, again, it's very harsh language. It says, God sought to kill Moshe. This is after he just anointed him as the redeemer of Israel. But the text itself says that he sought to kill him. And that Sephora saved his life. And Moshe wasn't so. circumcised? Moshe, according to tradition, he was, he was born circumcised. Right. <laughs> right. It still happens on, on rare, rare occasions. When you stand up on Mount Sinai and look down at the plain of encampment, it's hard to imagine where 600,000 plus people could have found water to make a mikvah. Were you at Nebel Musa? I don't know where I was. So. So, Santa Catarina. Ah, uh, yeah, you were there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so. I mean, there's a few trees. No, no, some, some no, 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 no. If you remember, first of all, there's no mention in Shemot about water at Har Sinai. In Devarim, mm-hmm. when the second tablets are given again in the Etchanan, mm-hmm. it mentions a river coming out of the Sinai hmm. in the text so when I went to what's called Nebo Musa hmm. the mountain of Moshe which we don't have Jebel, yeah, excuse me what did I say? Yes. Uh, okay, Jebel Musa this is one of the places that people think could have been the place hmm. could have been the place so I remember I climbed up the mountain mm-hmm. one way and I came down the back way. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the way you're supposed to go, but I came the back way and there was a river there. Mm-hmm. I, it blew my mind. I was blown away. I, no, but it was running water. It was running water and it was a, almost like an oasis and there was an encampment of Bedouin there that lived there. Mm-hmm. Wasn't like a, they, they had like some kind of mud houses or something. Not a huge. Right, right. <laughs> I'll never forget when I came down and I saw water there. I said, "Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh!" So, if that if that is the place, that is probably where they went. I was blown away. I was absolutely <laughs> blown away. Where is that? It's in the middle of the Sinai. Wow. Smack dab in the middle of the Sinai. It is the most awesome place. Isn't it? It is the most awesome place. All I know when I was there is, I said, I don't know if this is really the place, but I can't imagine it not being this place. Mm-hmm. Wow. I, I was... you remembered it a little bit? I can't say like it was that strong, mm-hmm. but the, I, it's just, I felt the holiness radiating from the whole Sinai, by the way. Yeah, really. I was in the Sinai for like four or five days, which is not a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Everywhere I went, mm-hmm. to me, it, it, it was Eretz Israel. Mm-hmm. It was like... Mm-hmm. If you think about it, we didn't spend that much time during the period of the Torah in Israel. We were in Jordan, we were in Sinai, we were in Egypt. We weren't here. A a good part of it. (laughs) Almost all. And two and a half of the tribes were were over there. And of course, Avon Yisak and Yaakov and that whole period. No, actually they were and then they weren't. Okay, we got off track a little bit here. Okay, so we see that there's a difference between Moshe and all other prophets that we, we're going to have to explain. I'm not going to do that now, but we're going to explain that. And this idea that all the other prophets only receive prophecy in visions and dreams. And actually, the other word that is used is riddles. What is it? I'd have to see. I'd have to see. But in, in riddles. 
and Moshe saw clear vision so this is an idea that I will bring up now that's explained in, in the Gemara, the Midrash that even Moshe though only saw through what's called a lens or we'll call it a, a, a clear glass and the word that's used is aspaklaria hameira, a shining pain or transparent pain. All the other prophets saw what's called through an aspaklaria lo meira, an unclear. There's a word for it. Um, Opaque. Opaque. Uh, frosted. Mm-hmm. Like a frosted window where you see images mm-hmm. and depending on the level of the prophet you can see fairly clearly or not so clearly at all but you do see the images. So this, again what we're trying to establish today is all the sources in the Torah for what prophecy is. So already we have very, very important uh, foundation understandings about the difference between Moshe and the other prophets and also the nature of their prophecy, how they receive prophecy. The Ramchal, and we'll go into this more, explains that a prophet never receives his prophecy in a conscious state. Now, it starts as a conscious state but when you reach the state of prophecy and he explains it could last for just a few moments or it could be a much longer experience the prophet will not in a negative way I won't call lose consciousness we'll call, uh, we'll call it um, altered no. well no it's, it's certainly altered but um, transcends normative consciousness and will be in an example we could probably understand this let's say through music which we will review also the connection of music and prophecy but sometimes if you're listening to a piece or with a group of people and everyone's singing and, and you're putting all of your focus in it there's sometimes those few moments where you go beyond yourself right you're like uh, you're just like so into but you're usually you're conscious but sometimes you start to become aware of, of being beyond consciousness you're, you're like like somewhere beyond so Moshe was different this Moshe was different Moshe eyes open during the day clear vision and what's very very important is that this is brought down in in all the traditions is that when God speaks to all the other prophets it's Ko Amar Hashem Mm -hmm. thus Hashem says but the word Ko the Chaf we know when you put it before a word, ke means like. This is an incredibly important point here. Ko amar Hashem really means, it, it, it means thus, but it's also alluding to approximately like this, God tells the, the prophet. And, and this we'll have to explain more. By Moshe, the expression is Zeh Hadavar, Asher Hashem Siva. This is the thing that God has commanded. When Moshe speaks to the people, Zeh is like exactly Zeh, exactly this. And so that's also a very big difference. In other words, Moshe when he is speaking to God or listening to God his ego was not there his what Arya Kaplan calls his dream center his sense of imagination 
his intellect he had superseded all of these levels so he wasn't when he's listening to God he was not filtering it through his own take on things all the other prophets not in a negative way all the other prophets received their revelations in dreams and visions and as it were when they came down the vision and dream was clear as a bell but it was in allegory it was in metaphor and riddle and then the prophet translated it through his being and the, the Gomorrah is very very clear about this and not as any kind of uh, a lessened uh, honor that we give the prophets but it's clear that each prophet gave over their prophecy according to their their neshama yeah. it says often in the Torah does it say that is that um, phrase used for anybody else I have to look at that probably not but even if it does we're told it doesn't mean the same thing ah. that's what they say it doesn't say every time that God speaks to a prophet it doesn't always say Ko Amar Hashem. but they said as if this is the difference by Moshe Zahadavar this is the exact thing and the other is it's like this and what about when Moses has to put his face in the cleft in the rock because he's not allowed to see ah, God okay good so this is what we said that even though Moshe is seeing through what's called a clear pain it is still some type of division that even Moshe uh, could not see directly that's so this, it is somewhat of a, a contradiction here because here we're saying that, that yeah. God spoke to Moshe face, uh, mouth to mouth in another place it says he spoke to him face to face but then in the, in, in the place that you're referring to God says no one can see my face and live mm-hmm. and he says to Moshe you can see my behind but you can't see my face so even Moshe can, it's, it's, it's like an oxymoron to say anyone can see the essence of God it's like, it's like an oxymoron so Moshe even though it was a clear glass there is still some uh, lessening of the quality. Emotion, yeah. I I sort of had this understanding that it was connected to the idea that we read from Ralph Cook on this week's Parsha that Sinai, the hearing and the seeing, how they were the opposite. Mm-hmm. Is that at the instant of receiving the concept of your senses? loses what the senses are. Like there's this constant mm-hmm. perception. There's a oneness happening. So it's not like your eyes are doing what they're supposed to be doing anymore and your ears is... Exactly. Okay. Exactly. That's why, whether we call it an altered state of consciousness or transcending consciousness, you're right. When the prophet receives his prophecy... Yeah, like I'm, I'm jumping around many of these ideas we'll have to return to but the Ramchal says very very clearly that when a prophet received prophecy he would lose control of his physical body in other words the revelation was so intense that uh, he, he would have no control it was almost like being taken over by a different energy and during that state he would he would have this uh, ex- this revelation so it's in other words it's, it's a fairly extreme definition of the experience of prophecy here 
And yet there were yeah. bands of prophets. Yes, that we're going to get to. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get to how pervasive mm-hmm. the, the desire to reach prophecy was in Israel. Mm-hmm. Pervasive. In other words, it, it, we're not talking about just a few people here. We're going to have to explain this in greater length. We're talking about for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years the, the thrust of spirituality was to reach prophecy. This was, this was the goal. This was the express goal. And it was, like I said, it was not just a few people in every generation. You're talking about uh, a, a great desire uh, to learn from established prophets how to, be, how to reach prophecy yourself. Now, that will have to explain more. Okay, let's go on so we can um, try to get to a, like a broad uh, overview. Another place where prophecy is mentioned is in Shoftim, Parshat Shoftim. And here it's very, very interesting because Parshat Shoftim is, has some very, very cogent points for modern society as far as politics is concerned. Because in Parshat Shoftim, you have all the centers of power in Israel explained in one parsha. And this is what in modern democracies called division of powers, where all power is not resting with any particular body, but there are a number of bodies. Each one has a power that the other one doesn't have, what we call checks and balances. And if you look carefully in Shoftim, You'll see how this works. So in Shoftim, it discusses about the power and the whole reality of a king. It discusses the power of the courts and the Sanhedrin. It discusses the powers of the Kohanim. And it discusses about the prophets. And it's all in one parsha. So it's very, very interesting that these are all the centers of, of moral, ethical, spiritual, and political power in Israel are shared among these four different groups, as it were. Are the king, the, the, the Kohanim, the judges, and Sanhedrin, and the prophets. And there, it's very, very interesting. In the text, the Torah says that when explaining about the prophets, it says, I will raise a prophet like you. God is talking to Moshe. In the future, I will raise prophets like you. And he explains, this is in response to when at Mount Sinai, the people came to Moshe and said, we, we can't hear God, because we're, we're going to die. According to the Midrash, the, every, every word that God said, their souls left their bodies. And then they were resurrected. And the next word by God, they, they left their body. Heidi, this is very... This is, yes. This is very close to what you were saying. In other words, at, at, really at Mount Sinai, there was a mass experience of prophecy and also at, 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 the, at the song of the sea there was also a, the entire nation experienced a prophetic experience all, everyone simultaneously Harsina was even more intense because exactly what we're saying is that when the revelation to the prophet comes He's overwhelmed by the energy. He's over. If it comes in a dream, then he's sleeping. But when it says he comes in a vision, it means he begins conscious, but he works himself up to transcending consciousness, and then the energy floods in, and he's overwhelmed. So what happened at Harsinai? That's what happened. God spoke. 
and our neshamas just we just not just we just shook or fell to the ground or quivered. We we the neshama left the body. That that oxymoron, the roimeta kolos. Right. That's that's what that's what Hadi was saying. Is that the, what the ear is and the eye, everything is simultaneous. That's the whole idea of God saying all the Ten Commandments at once. Mm-hmm. And then going back and saying it word by word. Because at once, was just the, that was the experience of prophecy. It was just the experience of divine revelation so that the soul would have that experience. Because everyone asked, well, if God, God knew we couldn't understand the whole thing at one time, we're human beings. So why did he do it it was very similar to the idea of teaching a, a fetus the whole Torah in the womb and then when it comes out it forgets it so why teach it because it needs to be imprinted in the deepest recesses of the consciousness so it's there so at Har Sinai uh, the actual the experience of Har Sinai is as important in a sense as the Ten Commandments because Moshe could have just come down from the mountain and said this is what God says he wants us to do this and this and this there didn't have to be the experience at Sinai but the experience was a prophetic experience a mass everyone experienced it at the same time and and so this is very very similar to what an individual Prophet goes through, but at heart it was even greater because the soul left the body. It absolutely could not deal with it. It was just too. It was just too intense. So, in Shul's team, God is explaining to Moshe that when the people said, "We can't hear," you speak to us. So God says this was a good thing, and therefore, in the future. I will raise prophets like you who will speak to the people the words and the, the messages that I give them. Now what's very interesting, I, I only picked it up this morning, this is coming in the same Parsha. It's in the beginning of the Parsha, Yitro says to Moshe, you're not going to be able to handle this all on your own. And the people won't be able to handle like. I mean, one person, and, and, and the line goes around the, <laughs> around the camp like four times, people waiting to talk to one person. You have to make leaders of thousand, leaders of hundred, leaders of fifty. So it's the same idea where God, and, and Yitra says, trust me, this is a good advice I'm giving you. This is good. You, you won't be able to deal with it, and the people won't be able. And so here later, only in Shoftim does God reveal that when they said you speak to God it wasn't such a bad thing meaning that that was the reality there is a level of hierarchy that is not necessarily negative that is there is good points about hierarchy also okay another place that we will go back to is at the song of the sea Miriam is called a Neviah in the text. She's called a prophetess. And really, other than Moshe, no one, at least in the five books, I might have to be stand corrected, but I don't think in the text itself, I don't think he's called a Navi. It says that he has visions and that he gave over about the future. I'll have to look at the, at the text. Um, so I'm only looking for like where it actually mentions. Billam's on the list here. We're going to get to Billam. Um, but here, uh, just for our purposes now, we see that Miriam is called in the via. So that tells us already that it's it's men and women can be prophets. The Gomorrah says that they see two different things. They said that there were 48 male prophets and seven prophetesses and they also say that there were a million prophets in Israel hmm. so, so what's the well like which one is right they're both right what, what it's saying is that there are 48 
prophets and seven prophetesses that are mentioned in the Tanakh whose role and whose prophecies have an eternal uh, basis to them. So what does it mean there were a million prophets? So this is what we alluded to before, that the quest for prophecy was a, a part and parcel of, of Torah. And there's a very, very important, important part is that there, what we would call now, there were schools of prophecy. There were schools of prophecy where people went to learn methodology and ways in which to make themselves fitting for prophecy. Now I'll bring one point here, which again we'll have to go over again, that the Ramchal brings when he explains, this is a very important point, is that you usually our, our first thought of prophecy is that God is giving a message to a prophet for the people. And this is certainly true. That's when they said there were 48 prophets. This is what they're talking about. In other words, there were 48 uh, prophets and seven prophetesses that came with certain messages to the people. The ones that we know the best of uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Zechariah and Micha and all the, and the other minor prophets. This is what we're thinking about. But the Ramchal explains that it's not necessary or it's not a prerequisite to be a prophet to have a message for the people. This is, this, is, this is very important why there were a million prophets. In other words, prophecy could be a, a totally uh, individual matter between a person and God. It wasn't only as a messenger to the people or as God's spokesman, which is certainly the way we usually think of the prophets. And it's certainly true. But the Ramchal makes this uh, very important point that, that a person who wanted to reach prophecy wasn't necessarily so I can be a messenger to the people. I want God to give me a, a, uh, a, a tough key, a purpose. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to have the power of uh, the prophet. Or I, even I want to do miracles. I want to do signs. That had nothing to do with it. The quest for prophecy, as the Ramchal explains, was a result of what he called Zvekut. That when someone reached a level called clinging to God, then they could merit prophecy. And so therefore, when the Gemara said there were a million prophets, it meant that people were achieving prophetic levels but not necessarily hearing any kind of message for the people. They were receiving perhaps uh, messages for their own life but it was more the quest is to cling to God. And for me this is a very clarifying point that, the, that wanting to reach prophecy was wanting to be close to God. That's what it was. It was almost synonymous. In the era when there were the bands of prophets, who supported them? Um, Like, did they spend their entire life um, cleaving to God and therefore they couldn't support themselves? Did they work in the world? That is a good question. I don't... I don't think they had kolels for prophecy. And I have to imagine that they, that they did work and were ordinary people. But 
that uh, let's take today where let's say uh, let's say a breast lover who is very very committed to doing an hour of heat bodu do it every day mm-hmm. like for real mm-hmm. or other people involved in Kabbalah who do Kabbalistic meditations or those who spend a few hours davening every day it doesn't mean they don't do other things but it becomes like like a focus maybe even a central focus of their spiritual path and so therefore since you mentioned these bands of prophets that come in the book of Shmuel and, they, and these bands of prophets are always connected to music that's what they did that's how they reached their prophecy so what I'm explaining now is a question that we could ask if you read the story and we'll get into some of these stories about these bands of prophets who are playing music and, and, then, and then it says and they began to prophesy so like I myself like what does that mean so the way I understand it right now it doesn't mean that they're they're uh, giving over future events necessarily mm-hmm. necessarily but that they are reaching a level of prophecy which we'll explain is higher than divine inspiration divine inspiration is a very high level prophecy is greater yeah is this understand that this quest to please God is um, the remembrance from Mount Sinai that feeling that they had of that's what it was? I would say it's very connected, yes. Is that like that first mm-hmm. principle thing of well, obviously yeah. yeah. I really think that's why the whole experience at Sinai plays such an important <coughs> part because we don't even realize how important it is because of the experience and that's why we're, we're told all the time that a, a Jewish neshama it doesn't mean uh, non-Jewish neshamas also don't have uh, a certain degree but we're, we're just talking right now about Jews we're told that a Jewish neshama has a natural tendency to want to be close to God to know God to have experiences that bring us close to God and that's what's used why so many, so many young people over the last 30-40 uh, years have gotten involved in so many things other than Yiddishkeit is because when they couldn't find it in Yiddishkeit the desire was still there so then they just looked for something else and if they couldn't find it in positive things then they went to drugs or because there's this there's this natural uh, tendency to want spiritual mystical experiences and to be close to God it seems like um, usually when we read the prophetic sections in the Haftorah it's like impossible to understand so it occurs to me that I mean, is the reason why why it's so hard to understand because our language is limited and it can't encompass that immediacy of that experience explain more to me what's difficult to understand other than the Hebrew the Hebrew of the, of the prophets is a, a, a difficult Hebrew it is, it is a very difficult it's Hebrew it's way harder to understand yes. the Torah much harder, much harder much harder but is that what you mean? I think so I think it's, it's like I've been kind of pondering this question throughout the class like why is it so hard to understand what the prophets say and wh- why don't the people do what the prophets say and you know so like, like where, where does it get lost in translation is that it just gets lost in translation again. Also, the people didn't do what Moshe said. Right. So that's just the nature of <laughs> things. All is seen and yet time right. is given. Uh, at, at some point, we'll get into, um, along with the 
important role the prophets had how many of them suffered because of what the message they had to bring to the people and the people's refusal not only to listen but uh, they became hounded many of the prophets were hounded and killed some of the, some of the prophets were killed by the people or put in jail or sent in exile or uh, scorned or made fun of they say it's very much I think uh, I said it here once uh, many people have like, a romantic idea of being a Rebbe right it's like wow everyone looks up to you and you just wave your hand and everyone jumps it's like the burdens that, that a Rebbe and, and Rebbetson have to carry and the the stories that they hear and the dilemmas that they have to try to solve and the, the, really the pain that they have to bear is is enormous it's enormous and the same thing with the prophets oh, wow I wish I could be a prophet but ask Jeremiah like, like how easy it was to be a prophet right or Zechariah uh, or Moshe now even even Moshe by devouring is pulling out his hair he says I can't <laughs> I can't deal with it anymore God you have to help me and that's when he, God gave him the 70 elders Moshe said I can't do it anymore so that's really part of this whole whole story also okay just a few more ideas uh, we mentioned Bilaam and here we have a bit of a paradox and it's connected also to, par- to Parshat Re'eh where God talks about a false prophet that a false prophet comes and he does signs and wonders and they, come and they happen and then he says we should worship other gods so the Torah says how even if they do miracles and wonders if they come and say worship other gods then you know that they're a false prophet so in both cases the question is asked why is a, 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 an evil person like Bilaam having prophecy anyways and why would a false prophet reach a level where he can do miracles and wonders and he turns out to be a false prophet so the Ramchal explains that the nature of the world that God has created for every positive thing there's a negative thing for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction and so therefore the let's call it the energy of prophecy the ability to reach higher levels of consciousness is open to everyone open to everyone but if someone reaches these high levels of consciousness but it hasn't really affected their lower natures which it should but it's not guaranteed the person has to work on it then a person could become a false prophet or someone like Bilaam Bilaam gives over some of the most exact and clear prophecies in the whole Torah (coughs) And everyone asks, but why do Bilaam? But so it's making a very important point here. Very important point. On the positive sense, Pitre de Eliyahu. Eliyahu says, I, I promise you, every person, Jew or non-Jew, male or female, adult or child, free person or slave, can reach the highest levels of, of I don't remember if it says prophecy or or uh, or spirituality or divine inspiration but it's open to everyone but, it's, but when you get there you're not necessarily guaranteed of using it right so therefore there's a whole string of false prophecies <coughs> And it, you know what? It's not even that they, they have the kavana 
of being evil. But when you're when, when you're given that, when you contact such power, uh, it's not everyone knows what to do with it. That's what Rabbi Akiva. Not that he, he didn't he didn't suspect his colleagues of any um, bad intentions, but he said to them, he, he warned them, when you, when we, they, they did this you know, mystical meditation, when we reach these high places, you have to be very, very, very careful. Very careful. We know what happened. One goes crazy, one dies, one becomes a heretic, and only Rebbe Akiva went in a piece and on a piece. And these are all great people. These are all great people. But when you reach such such levels, if you, you haven't really clarified your, your ego and your lower part, then those parts are going are going to come to the fore also. And then we have, uh, a beautiful statement by Moshe when they're picking the elders and Moshe says I can't I can't deal with the people so God says okay I'll give you 70 elders so a lot of this is explained in, in the oral tradition the idea was there were 12 tribes and how are you going to do the arithmetic if there's going to be 70 elders if you did six from each tribe, you'd have 72. So what they did is, and Rashi explains this, is they, they did a uh, hagrava, a uh, lottery, where they put in seven, they, there were six representatives from each tribe, meaning there were 72 representatives, and in a box, like 70 said yes and two said no the ones who get to know so who were they Eldad and Medad if you remember them from uh, from Bamidbar they were not picked and then it says they began to prophesize in the camp so Yoshua runs to Moshe and this is in the text and says stop them stop them and Moshe says an amazing thing he says were it so that all the people were prophets in other words they were prophesying in the camp and he saw this is a good thing how about all the people were prophets now what makes this even more amazing is Rashi tells us what they were prophesying the Torah itself doesn't say what they were saying Rashi says what were they saying Moshe met Moshe is going to die and Yeshua will lead the people into Israel which is true they were prophesying so it's even more amazing that Moshe hears this prophecy and he still says this is the level of Moshe he was the humblest person on the face of the earth he said halavai everyone was a prophet it was Yoshua who was also so humble he was saying stop him uh, uh, me lead them in uh, not you right? he said stop them so here I'm just bringing the places where prophecy is mentioned explicitly in the Torah is this mentioned in the Torah in the five books? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's in the it's in Bahalotcha, in the book of Bamidbar. Is it understood that when God speaks to a prophet, that prophet has the chiyuv to say out loud what the message was? Ah, so here we have the case of Yonah. Mm-hmm. Yonah was given a message and he ran away he didn't want the burden of that message so here's the case in the end it works out that he has he goes through with it but he learned a lot of things on the way but like we understood that um, 
Rivka understood from God. I don't know if, if it was through prophecy mm-hmm. about the two nations. Her question ah. was answered, the two yeah, nations yeah. inside her. Yeah. And she never revealed that. To, to Yitzhak. To Yitzhak. Right. So he, okay, so here's one of the many, many, many examples where the Torah is prophetic. Mm-hmm. Because it says that she went, it was just interesting, it says she went to ask God. And Rashi says she went to Shem and Ever to ask them. So this is also, mm-hmm. in other words, why well, doesn't it say in the text she went to ask Shem and Ever? So she went to ask God. Because Shem and Ever were considered on the level of having prophecy, so she went to ask them what, what would be. And their answer was a prophetic answer. They were saying, not, not just your personal two children, but she was telling them who they were and how their energy would play out throughout history. Okay, now we might have left out one or two, but those are most of the references, explicit references, and how much we can learn from them uh, just from those, those few.